eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. hear that sound for those of you just listening on podcast that scoop we got a robust scoop department at pate state uh world renowned as a matter of fact and we got some on the show tonight as much as i can drip 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 out there for you we're jam-packed high atop and appropriately intrigued downtown nashville tennessee sunday night february 25th the overlord 2024 what are they telling you about the playoff and what's really going on behind the scenes with the playoff? These things are two different things. Things are not as they appear. And I'm going to uh, begin the show with that tonight. We're also going to talk about the NCAA imploding in on itself like a dying star, courtesy of Tennessee, among other states. I'm going to talk to you about the biggest questions around this great country of ours when it comes to spring football, because believe it or not, we're actually allowed to talk about on-the-field matters around here. I got some... Names that you need to know about, I've got uh, FSU and the ACC, just little odds and ends here and there, but as I told you a couple of weeks ago, and as I will continue to maintain, what seem like totally separate issues are all going to coalesce into one gigantic thing, and that thing is nothing less than the future of college football. Now, before I dive into the show tonight, let me just remind you, no one's going to fully like where we're going. I do think that the biggest fears out there are going to be alleviated, mine included. I got fears just like the rest of you, mine included. So we're going to be okay. Just find a door frame to stand under while the earth shakes for a little while. We're okay. They're watching us in Andover, Kansas. That's tornado country. 1991? 
I want to say it was, it was a big one. They just had one a couple of years ago. Anyway, Tupelo, Mississippi, Greensboro, North Carolina, St. Paul, Minnesota. We are about to be well-traveled this week, friends. Not for storm chasing. The Pate State Speaker Series begins this week. And I have decided, after much internal debate, I am not announcing where we're going. It's just going to happen. You need to be following on the socials, actually, at Lake Kick Josh. You'll probably find out there long before it ever airs. Uh, but we are, we're going all over the country. We're going to sit face-to-face with head coaches and get some stuff that you actually want talked about out there on the record. But also, if you follow it specifically on Instagram, as you guys know during the season, if you follow over there at Lake Kick Josh, you will have all kinds of behind-the-scenes access that you'll pretty much only get from us because no one else is about to do what we're about to do, just like no one does what we do in the fall. And that's because of you. So I take no credit. You, you actually make that happen. Okay, so let's dive into the show tonight. I've got pieces of paper with a lot of writing, in fact, an uncomfortable amount of writing, because I don't like having many notes. I like having little bullet points, but um, boy, it's really complicated out there right now. So, Colin, here's our end point. What's everyone been talking about lately? They've been talking about what's going to happen with the future of college football. NCAA stuff, yeah, that's over there. We can talk about that, but also the college football playoff. They've been talking about expansion. Is it going to happen again? I've been talking about that, at least on this show. We're going, are we even going to have 12 teams? Or we're going to skip right past that. It's already old news. Let's go to 14. Let's go to 16. How's the auto bid process going to work? Who even gets an auto bid? How many auto bids do these conferences get? How many conferences are going to be left? 12 teams, 14 teams, 16 teams, and it's basically like this, right in front of your face, right? Every reporter out there at the national level is singing some version of the same chorus. And what did Meemaw always teach us, friends? Meemaw taught us when one hand's going like this in front of your face, look around the back at the other hand, because that's where the action is. So tonight, on this show, for the first time, I'm able to talk at some length about things that are being discussed behind the scenes. There's a lot, there's a lot going on at the college football playoff table and the future of college football table that is not being reported. And it's not being reported, not necessarily because those national types don't know about it. It's not being reported because it's not time for them to run with it yet. Nor is it time for me to fully run with anything, but I got a little more leeway than they do. The key thing to remember before I dive into this, the key thing, nobody knows how this is going to end. And that includes Tony Petiti, the Big Ten Commissioner. That includes the heads of ESPN and Fox. That includes Greg Sankey. That includes Brett Yormark. That includes any of a number of power players in the room. No single person knows how this ends. And the reason I want to make sure to stress that is because it is an environment right now that is rife or ripe. Or What's the word, Jesse? Is it rife or ripe? I always thought it was ripe. But then again, I spelled playoff birth with an I up until about seven years ago. So what do I know? Anyway, uh, it, it is a very charged environment. And it's the kind of environment where because there are so many moving pieces, someone could walk in the room tomorrow morning when they reconvene and could put an idea on the table that could, it could take root and it could sprout in the span of 24, 48 hours. And that could become the, the new thinking just sport-wide. That's the kind of environment we're in right now. So what I, what I believe, this is guided thinking, and I, I want to, again, thank a lot of our folks behind the scenes who help us out and keep us informed on this. You know who you are. 
I think that there are several models in play for the future of the college football playoff that have not been reported on. The hypothetical models you've seen put out there, I have not read anywhere, including things like this. I think that the Big Ten and the SEC have heard a lot of the talk out there about what an expanded playoff could potentially do to their conference championship games and their regular seasons. I have been an instrumental part in trying to make sure that particular song gets sung as loud as it can. Why? Because I love the regular season and I love conference championship Saturday. And if you enter into a world where your postseason model is so big that it renders a lot of the regular season irrelevant, teams know they can lose several games and still get in, and it also renders your conference championship game irrelevant because teams look at it and say, wait a second, if I go to that game and lose, I actually would have been better off not making it and just being the three seed. They can't have that. They know they can't have that. Now, here is some assurance that I want to give you. They know that. It may not be that those folks and me have the same motivation, but at the end of the day, if they're motivated to crystallize value in the regular season and make sure those conference championship races and conference championship games maintain premium importance, then strange bedfellows. So be it. So I think a lot of the decision makers in those two conferences understand we cannot sign off on any model that devalues our regular season and devalues conference championship Saturday. They're not going to sign off on that. The SEC and the Big Ten are not going to sign off on any kind of postseason format that devalues their regular season and their conference championships because there's far too much money invested in those. So while everyone you see floating around scenarios may include Oh, a future that doesn't have conference championships. That's not what they're about to sign off on. Got that on really good authority. So the next thing that I want to suggest to you is both of these conferences are about to expand again. Everybody knows it behind the scenes. Everybody in our business knows it. The Big Ten's not standing still at whatever they're at right now. The SEC's not standing still at 16. There is almost 0% chance that they're done. And it will probably come at the expense of one of the other Power Four conferences imploding in the not-too-distant future. More on that later in the show. But when that happens, you're talking about mega, mega conferences. 18, 20, 22 teams, however big they get. Um, I believe both of those conferences are going to split into divisions, quadrants, if you will. And I think you'll have four divisions in each one of those conferences. So just, just hold on for a second because I don't have visual aids with me. I don't have an easel, and I don't have a poster board, so I'm not going to draw this out for you. I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving and you're listening to the show on Monday. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Picture the world where the SEC is 20 teams deep. The Big Ten's 20 teams deep, and they just say we're splitting up into four or five team divisions. Okay, what would you do from that point if you were the SEC or ESPN, if you were the Big Ten, if you were Fox, what kind of structure would you want? Because right now, we're talking about a world, if we were to have a 12-team playoff, let's say, where you've got a certain amount of playoff games. But the thinking has always been, we've got to get through the regular season and through conference championship Saturday before we can seed the playoff, right? Just because that's the way it's been doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. And if every idea is on the table, and if nothing's decided in 2026 and beyond, what's to stop those conferences from reconfiguring their own internal structure to the point where their conference title races are part of the playoff 
And the way I think about that, nothing being decided, is I think, well, if the SEC or the Big Ten had four divisions and they had their own little internal semifinals, Division One versus Division Four, Division Two versus Division Three, leading to a conference championship game, it sounds to me like you just play two rounds of playoffs in each conference. And I don't even know what everyone else is doing during this time. The Big 12 may be a little more robust than they are right now. They could have the same structure. But I'm thinking to myself, do we always have to live in a world where we have to get through conference championship weekend before we can start the playoff? Or is there a world where the ending of those conference seasons and the beginning of the playoff can overlap? And is there a world where the ending, the apparatus that is built into those conferences to crown their conference champ serves as the first and or second rounds of a college football playoff? Now, does that sound unconventional? Of course it does. I think an unconventional approach is going to have to win the day uh, because there is no conventional model. If there was, guys, they already would have agreed upon it. So the reason I feel so confident that something along these lines is happening is because really smart people involved in the process have told me, first off. Secondly, it makes sense. Thirdly, I want to remind you again, nothing's decided. And therefore, you can ask yourself a million questions. Here's my question. Where's Notre Dame fit into all that? That'd be my first question. My second question would be, hey, if the SEC and the Big Ten are going to get that big, do they even bother looking elsewhere? Do they even bother including the rest of the sport? Uh, fingers crossed the answer is yes. I don't know what that answer would be. Because as you can clearly tell, if you got the big boys that are left in the ACC about to break away and, and divide themselves amongst other conferences, if Notre Dame ends up joining a conference, you have essentially college football's version of the NFC and AFC. Now, you know that I personally have believed for a long time that's the way that we're ultimately headed. And I still kind of hold that belief, uh, but I, I hope against it. I hold that belief, but I hope against it. Hope to be wrong, I guess. But there is a world, as you can clearly tell, where you have two behemoths and they don't even have to worry about what else is left. What happens of the AAC? Don't care. What happens with the Big 12? Well, it's an inferior product. Don't care. What happens with anybody essentially west of the Great Plains that's not already in a major conference? Don't care. There's a world where that happens. I hope it doesn't come to that, but there's a world where that happens. Uh, what happens to the ACC? Very, very uncertain times there. My point in asking all these questions is don't go through the mental gymnastics of that right now because they'll figure that stuff out. What I'm telling you is uh, for, the, for the circumstances that are in play right now, okay, I can't, I can't hit the rewind button in other words. So given what the landscape is right now, if we get a new proposal spit at us, that includes division play in the SEC and the Big Ten that ends up being wrapped up into whatever the new version of the college football playoff is, that's a net win for me because it's a lot better than what would have been. There's also a world, obviously this is the one I'll root for, but I have doubts that it ever takes root. There is a world where the Big Ten sets itself up in four divisions and the SEC sets itself up in four divisions, and they just play through, and they have themselves a little mini-tournament, semifinals and finals at the end of their seasons. They crown conference champs, and then those two conference champs are part of a greatly reduced college football playoff field. There is a rainbow in one corner of the studio right now, several butterflies in the other corner of the studio. That's probably fantasy land. 
on my part. I think it's been proposed. I think it's on the table at least. So there is uh, pretty much everything still up in the air. There's nothing decided, still everything up in the air. But I just want you to know that while there were, as far as I could tell, a few pretty similarly floated proposals last week from a lot of the big boys who were covering this and doing a great job covering it, I think there are several other proposals that never saw the light of day, and those are the proposals that actually have the most steam behind the scenes. But knowing who you have to get to sign off on these things to make it happen, there's still so much up in the air. And then you have the added maybe conundrum of, well, what if everyone doesn't sign off on it? At what point do the SEC and Big Ten look around and say, forget this, we're out? And is that possible? Or does that get litigious? Which is a fancy word for lawyers come in and just mess everything up. I don't know. I don't know. Three of the most important words you could say right now. I guess four if you don't count the contraction. I don't know. I do not know. But I know it has to happen very quickly. Very quickly. See, this is the good news, I guess, in all this. We don't have to watch it drag out because 2026 is less than 24 months away, according to Stats and Info. Uh, and they've got to get this thing done well ahead of time. Guys, this would bore you, and I'm going to spend five seconds on it. Do you know how much legwork has to be done once you get a format approved? Just think about things like advertising sales. Think about things like carriage rights. Think about things if you were to reallocate uh, where teams play and who's in a division in your conferences, you've got to redo your schedules. And then also you've got to determine, are we going to go by rankings when we see it our playoff, or are we going to go by winners of the various divisions within our conferences? Yeah, sounds fun, doesn't it? No, it sounds like a nightmare logistically. So that's not for us to worry about. I just wanted to let you know, a lot of wheels turning, and not every one of them has light shown on it right now, but I think they will. Did that make sense to you? No, it confused you more? Well, welcome to the party. Next up, and I can't wait till I get past this next piece of paper so we can finally talk about on the field matters, but there were no games last week, but we didn't have games yesterday, so it's understandable. There was big news Friday, big news. I'm in Nashville, so it was huge news in this state, state of Tennessee, looking over there in Knoxville saying, you guys about to get hammered? And some pseudo journalists, if you want to use that word, lowercase on the J out there, claiming Tennessee is going to get hammered. And then all of a sudden, a federal judge looks at the NCAA's case against Tennessee and literally lights it on fire right there in front of God and everyone just lit the thing on fire and the NCAA just continues to implode in on itself like a dying star. I don't say that celebratorily, probably a word, uh, because I always know that with something like this that happens, there are all kind of bits of collateral damage out there that they just end up not being fun. So the big loser here was clearly the NCAA. The bigger losers, I would imagine, would be the remaining members of the esteemed college football media that carry the water for the NCAA because it's a really bad look for them. Really bad look. Boy, that headline, you guys in Knoxville know what I'm talking about. That headline when the NCAA came after Tennessee was bold face, all caps. And then when the federal judge strikes it down, it's lowercase over here in the corner. It's 445 on a Friday afternoon. Hmm. I guess, I guess that's just the state of the world we live in these days. Is there going to be a period of chaos because of what happened here? Certainly. Essentially, if you don't really know, if you don't follow this stuff, a federal judge said, uh, yeah, NCAA has no right to 
legislate or to control anything related to NIL. Essentially, what they said is anybody at schools, forget the collectives, any school can just go out and collectives as well can go out and just negotiate at any given time and it's straight up recruiting pay for play. Someone's going to come in the comments and say, it always was. No, it wasn't. Don't be a fool. No, it wasn't. It's never been like that. It's never been like this in the history of college athletics. A $100 handshake has never been and will never be tantamount to here's $775,000 in a Lamborghini. It's never happened. Okay. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's never happened. So it had to get broken before it was going to get rebuilt, is the point. And uh, just like when we're talking about the playoff, that stuff, whatever's going to happen, has to happen quick. With the NCAA imploding in on itself, like the aforementioned dying star, at least it's happening quick. And so whatever results from this and the movement going forward will all kind of have to align with what are we going to do to rebuild because it's broken now. This is the NCAA broken down. Not not ceasing to exist, but broken down. The NCAA, as you know, it is done. The NCAA, as the overreaching enforcement arm of college athletics, is done. Uh, they They are completely without any limb left to reach out and bang you over the top of the head. Done. They still exist, but but more as a little shield than an actual weapon that could ever be fashioned against you. The movement going forward is going to happen swiftly. And uh, whether we're talking about revenue sharing, whether we're talking about conferences figuring out how to do this, do you independent contract players? Do you make them employees if they're employees? Are they employed by the school? Are they employed by the state? Are they employed by the conference? Which is the way I think they're going to go, which still doesn't rid them of some of the financial hurdles they're going to have to overcome. The answer, heard Shannon Terry say this the other day, Uncle Shannon, as we like to call him in these parts, he said, the answers to this lie in Chicago and Birmingham. The answers are the Big Ten and the SEC. He's right. It's always been that way. It's always been that the answer for the future of college athletics was going to be determined and decided by the Big Ten and the SEC. The conferences are the answer. Not the NCAA. The NCAA, when you think NCAA, think 1995. When you think future SEC Big Ten, think 2025 and beyond. I completely agree with that sentiment. Have for a long time. One thing they're wrestling with now, can uh, share this with you as well. One thing they're wrestling with right now, talking to some folks behind the scenes about this last week, was the employment stuff is so easy to say. It's obviously infinitely tougher to materialize, to make it happen. But even if they were to make it happen, I want you to think about something. Uh, Some of you have already thought about this. If you make athletes employees, okay, it's tough enough because you know that different states have different employment rules, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a train of thought out there that, well, we'll just, we'll circumvent that. Instead of them being employees of the school, we'll make them employees of the conference, you know, so whether you play for Texas or Tennessee or Florida, you're just an employee of the SEC. Well, that's wonderful. That's great. But unlike federal taxes, state income taxes vary greatly. And some folks live in states like we do in Tennessee where there is no state income tax. And the concern, as you could very much imagine behind the scenes, is What kind of recruiting advantage does it give programs that reside in states with no state income tax versus ones that have insane rates of state income tax? 
Again, these are situations where I'm very glad I don't have to police this. Uh, there are answers, but they are not for me to decide. But yeah, uh, NCAA dealt yet another blow, and um, I'm sure untold amounts of lobbying dollars were burnt in an incinerator in an effort to fight against the inevitable, and it will continue to be that way until, until they run out of money. I, I don't know. NCAA didn't run out of money. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Next up, good, we're done with that. Hey, football, football to talk about. How about this? You guys okay with this? You guys okay with some 2024 on-field talk? Appreciate you tuning in, by the way. Very, very exciting times around here. I know it's February. We did a lot of work this past week that you may not see pay off until the summer, uh, but in some other ways you'll see it beginning later this week. Mystery teams in 2024. I had three other teams that I was going to lead with, but Jesse walked in the room and said we need to lead with Penn State, so let's do it. And he's right. They are a mystery team because on one hand, they've been the model of stability right below Ohio State and Michigan in the pecking order, but not too far below anyone else. Well, there are questions. We're trying to replace both coordinators here. Now, Manny Diaz left. He went and took the head job at Duke. So who'd they hire? Do you remember? Tom Allen, former head coach at Indiana. He's now the defensive coordinator. Um, they went and got Kansas's offensive coordinator. And so Drew Aller kind of learning a new way of doing things. Everybody's hopeful. You know, everybody's fingers are crossed up there that their offense can improve. And statistically, it's not going to be that difficult because they were bad last year. Trust me, someone who stood on the sideline for the Ohio State and Michigan games now where they could not move it to save their lives. Statistically, it's not that difficult to see an uptick in production, but there are a lot of big pieces they have to fill. Now, it's college football, so you say that about a lot of teams, but I think the stability of the program is not to be questioned. Just that's what God made spring football for, as Meemaw would say. There are a lot of positions and holes that have to be filled. Oklahoma, I think, is a big mystery team in 2024. They went from 6-7 and seven in Venable's first year to 10-3 and three last year. All right, so... In fantasy land, where progress is linear, you go from 6-7 and seven to 10-3. and three. Well, the logical next step is the playoff, right? 
Well, Vegas has their over-under win total at 7.5, so they don't think so. Why is that? Well, progress is not always linear, firstly. Secondly, having the eighth best odds in the SEC this year just means it's a very competitive conference that they're joining. And number two, at offensive line is a huge question. Probably pound for pound among contenders, one of the biggest questions in all of college football is Oklahoma's offensive line this coming year. But they're good at quarterback. Jackson Arnold, I've actually been in a strange fight on Twitter with like five people about how good Jackson Arnold is. Because they, I don't know what the ammunition is. Like he hasn't started, which we say about every guy who's a freshman or a sophomore. But be that as it may, we'll see him. We saw him in the bowl game. We'll see him full-time this fall. Uh, good at wide receiver. It's just like you got to ask yourself the recruiting and, and the portaling that they've done. It's been at a very high level. Do you believe in the strength of the program or do you believe that one position group could be an Achilles heel that ultimately cost them several games this year? That's what makes them a mystery team. Next up, Louisville. Louisville. You know, there is, there is a 2023 Louisville out there in college football this upcoming year. This isn't, I don't think it's Louisville. Uh, but what I mean by that is, you know, this time last year, we were telling you, look at the schedule. And Jeff Brom... We think, for the record, Jeff Brom may be the most underrated major head coach in college football. Just our internals here suggest that. So we think the world of Jeff Brom as a caliber head coach, just the caliber he is perceptionally, we think he's top 15 in the country, pound for pound. And he's not perceived that way, but we think he is. So on one hand, you got a dynamite head coach there. But on the other hand, coming off an ACC championship game appearance, 10-4 and four season, Tyler Shuck coming in at quarterback. Really not been able to be healthy at various points in his career. So you got to count on that. Uh, they, are, they are portaling in massive amounts of guys. And all that's just got to gel. Like that's the difference in a team. We always use the analogy of a pallet of wood and a stack of bricks and a house. Those are not the same things. You got to take the materials and turn them into a house. Well, they got to take all these portal additions and turn them into a team. And unlike last year, they do not have the benefit of the most workable schedule in the world. But I'll tell you this, over at FanDuel right now, Louisville's over-under win total is 8.5. And, a half. and uh, I, don't, I think for some people who don't know how to interpret the totals market, you may think that's low. That's a pretty high number. Because unlike typical fans, especially in preview magazine season, who only think about glass half full, best case scenarios, a Vegas over-under win total has to take into account worst-case scenario as well. Also, they have to bake in the fact that you're probably not going to be injury-free. They don't know where the injuries are coming, but almost no team goes through the season, and at the end, their starting 22 looks exactly like the magazine said in August. So they have to take all that into account. So that's all baked in, and Louisville still has an over-under win total of 8.5. So it's pretty good. Mystery team, nonetheless. And lastly... How do I not put Colorado on here? Colorado is the definition of a mystery team. I mean, Deion Sanders and Colorado are the evergreen mystery team. They went 4-8 and eight last year. They're talking playoff this year. And I'm looking, and I'm seeing their schedule as they join the Big 12, and it's a nightmare. And at FanDuel, their over-under win total is 6.5. There are warts on this team, but at the same time, uh, so much about them was unknown last year, and then they come out the gates on fire. Just I left the word of out of it totally. They come out the gates on fire. 
Uh, now, they faded down the stretch, but I think they still delivered more candidly than a lot of people may have expected them to last year. They imported a new offensive line. Uh, Shador Sanders one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Travis Hunter is one of the best football players in the country. What do they have around them is going to be obviously a big question that we followed last year. We followed again this year. I... Oh, I didn't know that, Jesse. My bad. So they got five and a half instead of six and a half. I had six and a half written down. Man, that would have been used against me on future out-of-context clips on the internet. So five and a half. Over or under, for those of you in the comment section. I'll leave it at that. Let's move on. i got to take a sip from the chalice. You know what I have to do. Someone, someone accused me in the live chat earlier of not go oh there went the BHLs of not going on air because I was busy putting chapstick on or lip balm and they were actually right because as I looked at the screen I was putting lip balm on so I felt very seen so whoever you were thank you and secondly um I had someone reach out the other day and they told me now listen Josh you're doing great work right now it's great stuff on the show it's depressing me a little bit. So I got to walk away for like a month, but don't stop because I'm probably in the minority and it's great information, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you guys got to tell me that. In fact, if 50 of you come to me and say that rule of 10 means another 10 times as many of you are thinking that not telling me. So got to let me know. Got to let me know if we're giving you the frownies, we got to turn them upside down somehow. Uh, anyway, sit from the chalice. And let's roll on. I didn't really know how to talk about this. Uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the world of SEO, search engine optimization for the unwashed, they tell you not to talk about things like I'm about to talk about because no one ever clicks on it. And as we all know, clicks are oxygen, right? I say that sarcastically. Folks use the word clickbait and don't even know it. It went out of style as a strategy like five years ago. Anyway... I'm going to talk about it anyway. Eddie from way out there in New Mexico hit me and said, what do you make of this huge wave of coaches leaving the G5? And do you think it will slow down anytime soon? Uh, Eddie, wish I had better news. No, I don't think it'll slow down anytime soon. So as of today, as best we can tell, seven head coaches have gone G5 to power four, 19 coordinators, 32 position coaches. Many of them have Seemingly taken lateral or even backwards moves. Sean Elliott, we just saw, hang it up as the head coach of Georgia State to go be a position coach over at South Carolina. And congratulations to Columbus, Georgia's Del McGee for getting the Georgia State job. Just a little side note there. Um, so anyway, what do we make of all this? Well, it's pretty easy. It's pretty cut and dry. Uh, the G5, as an entity, as like a collective is on more shaky ground than it's ever been on before. So as much as the big boys complain, and as much as elite head coaches behind the scenes talk about their plight and how unmanageable the current structure of college football is, I listen to it and I buy into it, but there's also a side of me that says, are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm not just going to make up generic names. If you're a head coach in a major Big Ten program, if you're a head coach in a major SEC program, you're kidding me right now. At least you have recourse. Your recourse when your staff or your roster get raided is you go down to the G5 and, and it's just heartless. It's like watching orcas hunt in packs. You go take from the G5. 
But what do they do? It's the question. Those are the dudes I feel for. Because there is a world right now in the G5 ranks where you do everything right and you lose. You go and you identify talent and you recruit them and land them and develop them. And you hire soundly so you build a strong staff. And right when you get to where it's all supposed to pay off, someone comes and takes your tight end and two best receivers after spring ball Two of your interior offensive linemen get NIL deals from desperate lower-tier Power 4 teams, and two of your coaches leave at the 11th hour, and you're gutted, and you go into the fall, and you probably had a 9- or 10-win campaign coming up, and all of a sudden you go 5-7 and because there is no contingency plan for being gutted after spring ball, and at the end of the day, everyone looks at you and ignorantly says, well, he is what his record says he is. It's one of the big lies in college football, especially in the G5 right now. You are what your record says. You are right. Well, they're looking around and saying, hey, this game's hard enough to win as it is. But if you're taking my fate out of my own hands, screw that. I'm out of here. And if I have to take a quote unquote backwards move in the interim, I'm going to do it because I'll go be the wide receivers coach at Michigan State as opposed to being a coordinator or head coach in the G5, because at least I'm on the iceberg out there before it detaches and floats away from whatever this landmass is I'm standing on right now. It's happening. Wish it wasn't. It's happening. And I don't even know, because in addition to all those problems I pointed out, okay, so you've got your roster being gutted, you've got your staff being gutted, but on top of that, you, you turn on shows like this one, you go read the, the latest Ross Dellinger or Pete Thamel reports, you don't even know what conference you're going to be in or if it'll even exist as part of major college football in three or four years. You don't know if you'll have access. You don't know if, if you'll even be subsidized by the big boys like you once upon a time have been or if that money will cut off and therefore your existence is threatened to cut off. You don't know. They don't know. And they're not experts in this. These guys are experts on coaching offensive linemen. And, and working on, on DB play when the ball's in the air, they're not experts on this stuff, nor should they be. But it's scary. Because for you and me, it's the sport we watch on Saturday. For those dudes, it's their livelihood. And it's really scary. I know it's not foreign to you guys. A lot of you, we had this at my company last week. Got good people doing their job, and all of a sudden they're out of a job. You've dealt with this at your place of employment. It's no different with these guys. You may think because they make more money it's different. It's not. It's not. And listen, a lot of them don't make nearly the money you think they do at the G5 level as well. So, Eddie, it's happening. Um, I had one of them tell me last week, the biggest fear is the music eventually stops and we don't have a chair to sit in. That's the way he put it to me. And that was a head coach at a G5 school. So, uh, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't think the decision makers know how it's going to end. I'm hopeful but, you know, remember three weeks ago, Jesse was reminding me of this earlier. Remember about three weeks ago, I had, um, I had a segment we did on the show, and I just kind of put it out there. And I told you, hey, not everyone's going to survive this thing, this shift that's coming. Not everyone's going to survive it. Not every program is going to survive it. Not every conference is going to survive it. And I'm talking best case of best case scenarios playing out. Not everyone's going to survive it. And, and I had some folks come at me and say, why should we accept that? Why should we ever accept your scenario? Because that includes programs dying off. You don't have, an, you don't have any other choice. 
uh, because that's where we are. This is not 2007. If we go back then, hopefully we could speak some common sense and reverse engineer a different outcome, but we don't get to do that uh, because this is the real world. So you're 2024 and moving forward, what's going to happen? Should I share? Yeah, I'll share this. So guys, it's kind of dire. Um, there, there are certainly paths where this stuff doesn't play out this way. Okay. So first I want to say that there's certain paths where this doesn't have to play out this way. There are other paths where it doesn't and athletic departments, even at the highest levels are having to prepare for that. And let me tell you something that was fairly alarming to me. You've got all kinds of schools out there in any given year that are replacing coaches, but they're also replacing administrators and athletic directors you know what one of the questions certain major institutions are having to ask in the interview process for new ADs is, it's, are you prepared to be the face of cutting sports? Cutting non-revenue sports, are you prepared to do it? And if you answer no to that, you're probably done as a candidate for that job. Because the thinking is, in the near future, there will be non-revenue generators, men's and women's sports, that get cut because that's the landscape you're headed towards. And I'm not talking about poverty schools. I'm talking about some of the big boys out there even that are having to deal in that right now. So like I said, doesn't mean it has to go that way. And I don't think we're over the cliff yet. Okay, smart enough people in the room to save us from that. Uh, but they're also selfish enough folks in the room to hurl us headlong into that. So fingers crossed again. I've done it like three times in the show. Fingers crossed. They're watching us in Shanghai, China. Yes, it was confirmed in the live chat earlier. They're watching us in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Pendleton, Oregon, Garner, Iowa. Thank you guys so much. So as you look at your device, I have an iJosh, for example. You have whatever you have. It is Sunday, February 25th right now, which means spring football is upon us. I think Missouri starts this week. Some folks out there starting absurdly early. So Colin, here's an end point. Spring football nearly upon us. I have some questions for you. Really, I have some questions for myself. I'd love for you to answer them. For instance, at Georgia, are they going to be able to replace the perimeter skill they've lost? Both sides of the ball. So DBs like uh, Javon Bullard, Kamari Lassiter, Tyke Smith gone. And then, of course, you got Brock Bowers at tight end, who was our number one receiving threat. He's gone. Lab McConkey, he's gone. Now, as you well know, places that recruit like that, and there aren't many of them, there are certain names that will be household by the end of the year that you don't know about right now. And that is most likely the case at Georgia, but that's what makes it a spring question. Got to find out who that is. Uh, they got transfers from, I think, Vandy and Miami at wide receiver, and they've also recruited well, and they've portaled well. They got guys like Ra Ra Thomas last portal cycle in. My question will be, is there a wide receiver one that emerges from that crop? Saw Fornelli, Tom Fornelli, talking about Oscar Delp earlier today. Oscar Delp would be an all-American caliber tight end at other programs last year. He just happened to play on the same team as Brock Bowers. So outside of Athens and hardcore SEC fans, most folks don't know about him. That will end in about six months or sooner if you pay attention to Georgia spring football. What about Michigan? New quarterback, Alex Orgy, talk about him in a second, and new staff. So twofold on the question front here. Alex Orgy, 6'3", 236. Uh, the comps are to Jalen Milrow from folks up there close to the program. Maybe a little more accurate. We'll see. 
That's what makes it a question. But also the staff. I mean, what kind of offense are they going to run? When are we going to finalize all the staffing and the hires up there? They're losing a ton on the offensive line. What kind of style will they be able to play this year? They lost two big names at wide receiver. So yes, on one hand, you're, well, it's not a dome, so you can't hang the banner, but you're, you're celebrating a national championship. But this staff's new. This team's new. They haven't accomplished anything. That's what Sharon Moore is going to be preaching, no doubt. So you got that at Florida State. I've got questions. I don't question Mike Norvell. You know we're big fans of Mike Norvell. But they're losing a ton of experience on defense. So as you open spring ball down there in Tallahassee, you're losing about a dozen guys who had double-digit starts on defense. Now, you know they've recruited pretty well. They've portaled extremely well. So they've tried addressing it via the portal. And I, I don't doubt to a large degree they will have. But they also lost two of their top receivers. And they're bringing in DJ Uyangalale at quarterback. So there's an assumption out there, and candidly, I share the assumption, that Florida State as a program has arrived. Like they're not going to fade off. It's not a window program, as we call it, where they'll be up one year like Michigan State a couple of years ago, and then they fall off a cliff. That's not FSU. Over-under win total at FanDuel is 9.5. Odds makers agree with that. The question to me is, who are those names who are going to step up? That's one of the spring practice uh, sessions, actually, that I'll be paying really close attention to is Florida State. Kansas State also got questions here. Not at quarterback, because Avery Johnson's the guy at quarterback. The question is, how much can he do and what's around him? They lost two big-time wide receivers. They lost four starters on the offensive line, and look at those amount of starts, 48, 41, 32, 27. They only got one offensive lineman returning with eight or more starts. And Kansas State is a developmental program. It's not littered with four- and five-star talent up and down the roster. Defense will be good. It'll probably buy them some time. But Avery Johnson, okay, he's a talent, but I need guys around him to step up. And also, and I could have started with this, but I'll finish with it, Let's go out to the West Coast. The question at USC in the spring, defense in totality and practice style. I don't think we say that much about major programs, but if you think back to last spring, they had to alter the way they practiced in spring. Like they had to just kind of say, all right, we're, we're kind of done playing football. We'll, we'll work on seven-on-seven seven style practicing. They, they, they couldn't, uh, they were too thin. Uh, they couldn't tackle. And then they couldn't do it in the season either. And so Lincoln Riley has looked at a lot of the pieces of his roster depart. He got rid of some staffers. They are going to be young. They're going to be inexperienced. They're going to be new names that you don't recognize. Maybe even if you're a USC fan, that's not all bad. Big names came in there last year via the portal. But some of those big names did not come with big production. And I think Lincoln Riley knows that they've got to fundamentally alter the way they play starts with the way they practice those are his words not mine and he also understands we cannot shortcut our way to this we are USC first off so we shouldn't have to portal our way to anything we got to build through recruiting they have not recruited at an elite level they've recruited at a pretty good to really good level they've got to continue to upgrade there and they've got to go national to recruit the offensive and defensive lines. But they've also got to be better at wide receiver. That's Lincoln Riley. That's supposed to be an explosive offense. And Caleb Williams kind of hid the fact they were average far too often at receiver last year. Big names, 
not big production. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for them to have a lot of new blood. And it may come with some losses this season, and that's the short term, and everyone will judge Riley in the here and now. Um, I told you my thoughts on it last month. I'm willing, given the circumstances, to give them some time. I'm willing to look at Lincoln Riley like a first-year head coach this year. That's what I'm willing to do. Most of you won't agree with me on that. So you guys have fun, and you have the right to. Because if your opinion is, this is USC, you, you don't get to experiment on the fly as the head coach of USC. That's fair. That's fair. I guess since I am not a fan of USC, I observe them, I can afford to take a little different approach. But I look, if I was a USC fan, I'd probably feel the way you guys do. So either way, I get it. I'm just telling you how I will look at Lincoln Riley and USC this year. All right, we move on. Good pace tonight. There was some internal thinking that that first segment would go 25 minutes and we would already be an hour into the show before we talked about Florida State here for a second. But that did not come to pass, did it? Hmm. Um, well, quick reminder, the Late Kick Extra podcast is back. And even though I'll be on the road this week, it'll be back. So we'll, we'll have you a full Late Kick Extra pod ready to go, depending on Bradley, the associate, by sometime in the day Tuesday. And we look forward to it. Uh, make sure we got a lot of live viewers tonight. It's February, man. No off season, none whatsoever. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Okay, Colin's got the tweet up. I figure we might as well address this. Vance from Carrollton, Georgia, home of the Trojans. He said, "Did you see what ESPN had to say about the FSU lawsuit? What are your thoughts, Vance? I did see it. Okay, so I'm very conflicted here. There is some stuff that's about to go down." with Florida State and the ACC. I am going to be very guarded tonight with how I talk about this. We will not burn sources on this show. I will not. I got a lot of you guys who feed us a lot of good intel. The trade-off, unfortunately, is in a lot of cases we cannot run with it on the air, but it does inform our conversation. And so, yes, I saw what was written. Uh, essentially, you've got the ACC and FSU fighting each other legally right now. And then ESPN got involved and you can go read it if you want to. I won't bore you with it. The, the ESPN rebuttal was kind of like a, a wrist slap. Candidly, it felt performative to me, a lot more than forceful. I'm going to be very careful with this. I will tell you this. I think we're in GPS protocol at this point in regards to FSU and the ACC. And basically that is, there may be several different routes this could take, but the end result's going to be the same. FSU is not going to be in the ACC much longer. I mean, I think action's coming on that very quick. The talk on our side of the fence in the media world is not FSU versus the ACC. The talk is network versus network. Because the thinking is, not if, but when FSU breaks free, and they won't be alone, but when they break free, the question is, where are they going? Are we going to the Big Ten? Going to the SEC? And if that's the case... Is it Tony Petiti versus Greg Sankey, or is it Fox versus ESPN? I would lean a lot more towards the latter with help from the former. And so that's the talk right now. And as I told you a few shows back, there are mechanisms in play that ESPN has a fair amount of control over. If that means that ESPN can pave a way for FSU to the SEC, maybe so. If it means that at the end of the day, won't make that much difference in the grand scheme of things, and FSU can go wherever they're invited and wherever they want, maybe that's also so. Um, movement 
is imminent on this front. As in, like, before FSU plays another football game this year, I think you'll know something on this front. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but look, if we're talking 2025, like, I think this could happen by 2025. That's one year away from happening. So whether we're talking about the NCAA crumbling, we're talking about the college football playoff, we're talking about FSU and more conference realignment, if you haven't picked up on what I'm putting down already on tonight's show, another volcanic eruption is right around the corner in college football, probably the biggest one so far. So our St. Helens is yet to come. I don't want to alarm anyone, but if you're living on Spirit Lake up there, Harry, please get down. Uh, there are no odds on that right now at FanDuel because I don't know how you would shape those odds, but there are odds on like everything else. And so if we're talking about Florida State in the here and now, their over-under win total for 2024 is 9.5, courtesy of our exclusive odds provider, FanDuel. And uh, you can go and bet it right now if you want to. Now, I'm about to go on an entire spring Pate State Speaker Series tour. And we're going to sit down with a lot of big names in this sport. And I'm going to get you as much intel as I possibly can. And it will not be for gambling purposes, but you could use it for gambling purposes. Because this is the time of year, spring football, is the time of year where a lot is being decided that will lead to you winning or losing these wagers in the fall. And so if you, uh, you know, I told you I'm going to Iowa State. That's the only one I've confirmed for what should be obvious reasons. Uh, and the obvious reasons are their mascot's a tornado and the color scheme is that of Hulk Hogan back in the day, red and yellow. What more reason do you need, right? So if I go up there and Matt Campbell shares something with us that answers a big question you had and you want to go pound the over on Iowa State this year, whatever it is, that's where you do it, FanDuel. You know, very simple. And then rinse, repeat. Do so responsibly. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Uh, who are the biggest names in this sport? It's a great question, Josh. Great question. It's almost like I didn't even come up with it. One of you did. So, uh, Colin, no endpoint yet. The other day, we did a segment on this. And if I'm being honest with you, we threw it together the day of the show. And I had in my mind, there's no way we're going to do an exhaustive list. So this will be like part one. 
but I didn't call it part one. I just shared 10 names. Well, some people, you guys, took my list of 10 that I shared that night to be my definitive list of 10. And I'd called it the biggest names in college football. And I can't remember who all we had on it. Like, like the commissioners were on there. Saban was on there. Uh, Dabo, Mike Norvell, uh, like Quinn Ewers was on there. Well, yeah, those are big names. But I didn't literally power rate it one through 10 because the, the model is on vacation right now. So the model is not spitting out power ratings probably until spring. So in the meantime, how about part two here? So Colin, here's your end point. 10 more of the biggest names in college football for 2024. Of course, Kirby Smart's one of them. I didn't mention him the other night, not because he's not one of the top 10. It's just that we have plenty of time to talk about these things. Is Kirby Smart the face of college football is my question to you, because I think it's kind of TBD. He is leading the number one program in college football. If I were power rating head coaches, I think I'd have him number one in college football. But is he the face of college football? Like when a, when a problem arises, will the mics all go to Kirby Smart to speak on it? Does he want them to go to him to speak on it? Well, either way, he's a big name. But if, if the, the spotlight that used to be on Nick Saban either gets splintered and he gets part of it, or it just kind of redirects over there to Athens, Georgia, Kirby Smart can end up rocketing up the importance power ratings of college football. His team will be there either way. But yeah, Kirby Smart, let me finish my sentence or I'll get sidetracked. Kirby Smart's one of the biggest names in college football. It was pretty easy. So I was on with Aaron Murray and T-Bob Bear the other day, and we were talking about Ryan Day. And I made the point that I believe, and I said, hey, man, Ryan Day's like five years ago is Kirby Smart. Keep this up for a second, Colin. Immunity. Dang it. Um, and my point there was everyone's forgotten what they used to say about Kirby Smart. You got folks praising him as the king of college football these days who once upon a time said things like he can't win the big one. Kirby can't get over the Saban hump. As you're looking on your screen, those things would have been said right around there, 2020. And then all of a sudden, 2021 happens. Title, 2022, yawn, another title. And no one said that about him anymore. It can change that quick. And what changed about Kirby? Answer, not much. They just kept chopping. They just kept doing what they do. Uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State will be the same way. Doodle eventually win a title. And all of a sudden, Colin will have a graphic like this, and there'll be one or two little red bars there indicating national title wins, and no one will hate on Ryan Day anymore. Search your heart. You know it to be true. Next up, Ryan Day's not even on the list tonight. I just segued to Ryan Day. Next up, Dylan Gabriel. Yes, the quarterback at not Oklahoma, but Oregon. He's surrounded by talent. Bo Nix is leaving a big void out there, which is a sentence in and of itself that we didn't think would be saying a few years ago when he was in prison down at Auburn still. Not literally. I don't want the NFL draft types to think they just uncovered something there. But uh, Bo Nix was underdeveloped at Oregon or at Auburn. He goes to Oregon. They fully utilize a skill set, and he explodes. Well, then he leaves, and Dylan Gabriel steps in. And he's not stepping in to carry the entirety of the load. A lot of good receivers up there. I mean, a lot of them. Just picked up Evan Stewart as well. So Dylan Gabriel could be instrumental in the way the Big Ten championship race plays out and the national championship race plays out this year. And that's about all it takes to get on the list of biggest names in college football this year. Next up, I want to go to Miami. 
Mario Cristobal is one of the most important names in college football this year. Two reasons. Number one, they've got one of the most skilled rosters in a major conference. Therefore, they should be a factor in that conference race. Number two, there's this massive debate that happens and is happening in college football right now. And that is, is Mario Cristobal a great recruiter? Is he a great game day coach? Is he both? Is he one? Is he neither? And this fall will be instrumental in shutting at least one of those camps up. Because this year, this 2024 year, is one that pretty much everyone inside the walls of Miami has had circled. They feel extremely confident about the team they're going to have. They went and got the quarterback piece in Cam Ward, so they feel good about it. All right, so on one hand, that's optimism. On the other hand, it means, hey, no excuses. If you fall flat this year, no excuses. And that's a beautiful thing because that's how competition works. So Mario Cristobal, because if he answers the question in the affirmative, well, you'll have him establishing himself at Miami and establishing Miami as a power player. You got a 12-team playoff this year, and they could be a part of it. And that's a really big deal because that would be a major brand returning to the party. Miami as a playoff team. Just sit on that for a second. Miami is a playoff team. Next up, what about Jalen Milrow? lot changed at Alabama recently, not Jalen Milrow. And I'm very interested as they open spring ball in a couple of weeks down in Tuscaloosa to start to see how Milrow fits in Kalen DeBoer's offense. And I, so there, there are two schools of thought on this. One is Jalen Milrow is who he is, right, as a player. And then there's another school of thought, kind of the Bo Nick school of thought, of, or the Michael Penix Jr. school of thought, where not comparing the players, but I'm saying for broad strokes purposes, you saw those guys in different systems do much different things. So, and, and one of them actually was plugged into DeBoer's system in Penix. So Jalen Milra plugged into Kalen DeBoer's system. How different does he look? This is still Alabama. It's a still really, really deep roster. They're still one of the favorites to win the national championship. He'll be an integral part, obviously, of whether they can do that. What about Tim Lester? How many of you? Whomst amongst us? That's the new offensive coordinator at Iowa. And because he's the new offensive coordinator at Iowa, it's a virtual guarantee that he's going to improve his side of the ball. I'm, I'm, I think my sister would. And so, Tim Lester, how improved can they be? Because it's like when we talk about USC or we talk about LSU, what do we say? Can we get like a pulse on defense? Well, if you take that and you totally invert it, that is Iowa football. Doesn't matter who the starting 11 are defensively. You just blindly know they'll be really good. Tougher than a $2 steak, as Jim Ross would say. However, they may have to hold the opposition to single digits or else they get beat 10 to 9 because that's been the status or stat I, because it's been several years, of Iowa offense. Well, if Tim Lester can even make them decent, just like at LSU with Blake Baker or DeAnton Lynn, the, the new coordinators on defense at LSU and USC, if they can even make those defenses decent, you got a really good team all of a sudden. Iowa could be a really good team, really fascinating team all of a sudden. They were already pretty good, but they could be really good if they could, you know, score and stuff. Score and stuff. Not a bad name. Next up, Travis Hunter, uh, one of the very best players in college football this year. 
how much will he play both ways? Just a selfish question I have. And number two, he's on a team that's one of the spotlight teams in college football for reasons that some of you like and some of you don't. Therefore, it's, it's nothing but like for me because they're polarizing. Uh, but Travis Hunter is um, one of the faces of college football. And I don't know how anyone argues that, actually. One of the faces of college football and also uh, could be a player that's the difference in several games for Colorado. And as they join a new conference, he also has an impact in the Big 12, which wasn't the case last year because obviously Colorado wasn't there. And, uh, you know, if it's true that we're approaching a season where it's, it's show-me time for Dion as a head coach and for that program and the entire philosophy with which he's running that program. Well, I mean, the face of his philosophy is Travis Hunter in many ways as well. So he's an important player. Cam Rising, entering his either 18th or 19th year at Utah. Who's been at Utah longer, Kyle Whittingham or Cam Rising? Tomato, tomato. It looks like apples to apples at this point. So Cam Rising, what's the dude's name in Lord of the Rings, Jesse? Jesse Lee? Jesse left, didn't he, Colin? He doesn't know. Um, the dude with the long beard. You know who I'm talking about? Really long, like down to here? Oh, Gandalf, yes. Well, Utah Gandalf is about to gird up his loins and lead the Utes at quarterback yet again. And Utah is also joining the Big 12. And what if I told you that a certain college football show out there the other day did program power rankings and said that Utah is the best program in the Big 12 the moment they enter the Big 12, it was this show. I am that person. And so Utah could come in and quite literally win the Big 12 this year. But they can't. Well, it's unlikely that they do if Cam Rising doesn't play well. He was hurt last year. And so he's back again this year. And we pull for Cam Rising. Number one, because we respect our elders. And number two, because he looks a lot like Jesse. Uh, suspiciously looks a lot like Jesse. And so for those reasons, we've always felt kind of a kindred attachment to Cam Rising. So we're pulling for him. He's an important name. And also Hugh Freeze at Auburn, one of the biggest and most important names in college football 2024 because it could go one of two ways to the extreme down at Auburn. We have seen uh, Auburn as a program be a program of extremes in the modern era. And we've also seen Hugh Freeze do things that few other coaches have done, you know, like beating Nick Saban back-to-back -back years. And went up to Liberty, won at Liberty, and is now at Auburn, and they brought in a top-ten recruiting class. They are, I think, in a lot of ways finding their way is the best way that I could summarize what it's like inside Auburn right now. And that just leads to a lot of maybe concern, but just just – a lack of being able to fully put your finger on the football program. Uh, predicting Auburn's like nailing jello to the wall right now, as Meemaw would say. And so for that reason, the head coach of that program has got to be one of the most important names in college football in 2024. But also, if I told you 10 years ago, Nick Saban's going to retire a decade from now. So 2024, the SEC will finally be rid of Nick Saban. You would have said, well, whoever the coach at Auburn is at that point is going to be in a really good position. That's the time to strike. Well, it's Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is at Auburn. Hugh Freeze just landed some in-state recruits that were really, really big. Cam Coleman, for example, really big get 
Auburn wasn't landing those kids. I could not care less how they landed them. It's a different world today. Don't be using that stuff as an excuse because you can do it. It's legal. And even if it's not legal, no one's going to police it. So it's legal. Um, so Hugh Freeze, very important name. Okay, we got a big week coming up. Uh, we got a live show Thursday night. We got a Late Kick Action podcast coming to you sometime on Tuesday. Pate State Speaker Series. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Late Kick Josh. That's not where it's going to air. I'm just telling you, there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes stuff all spring, starting this week when we go on the road to various programs. So, a lot to look forward to. No off season. Don't even say the word out loud. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.